what I've really noticed is is that that far left and far right, all that keeps continuing to go on here now as we progress over the next few years. If you look at the last say 12 year cycle of politics here in Canada, is we either have a very strong right wing government in power or we have a very far left wing government in power. And it seems to take a couple of years, maybe two, three election cycles, and all of a sudden the pendulum will swing back over to that other side. I'm Tim Bickett, a grain and cattle risk management advisor from Worthington, Minnesota. And you are listening to the Vance Crow Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, Quick Dick McDick returns. Longtime podcast listeners know this is one of my favorite guests. Quick is a comedian youtube personality that lives up in saskatchewan canada and his work really shows off a different side of life a life of rural culture and of a different way of thinking and we sat down today because i noticed that uh for a few weeks there everything on our news everything people were paying attention to was the canada trucker convoy but the moment ukraine invaded uh, was invaded by russia all of a sudden, all bets were off. Nobody even knows what's going on in Canada. And yet they had enacted huge powers. Banks had started freezing assets. So I wanted to check in and find out what was going on. And my man Quick was uh, willing to come on and chat about it. This is a great conversation. I learned a ton. And uh, it's really just fun to hear Quick talk about his perspectives on the world because they seem to be so balanced and so measured. So I'm really excited to present this to you. I'm also really excited right now about uh, legacy interviews. This is an opportunity for me to sit down with one of your loved ones and record an interview where we talk about their childhood, what their career was, their marriage, what it was like to be a parent, and the legacy they want to leave behind. We are doing these now over Zoom as we are building out our podcast studio. So if this is something you've been interested in doing, you're living in rural America, it's not easy for you to get to St. Louis, then go to store dot articulate dot ventures where you can book a a legacy interview over zoom where we can do this online it'll be about 90 minutes it can either be with just you or we can do a couple sometimes husbands and wives like talking um at the same time and uh at the end i will return to you an interview uh where we've had a great discussion that you can either share with your family now or hold in a time capsule to keep for another time we have heard from people that these are some of the most valuable artifacts that they have in their homes once they're recorded. So if you're considering doing it, do it now, because uh, when we get into our studio, it'll be a lot harder to schedule these Zoom interviews. So if you're interested, go to store.articulate.ventures. All right, without further ado, let's go to my man, Quick Dick McDick. Quick Dick McDick, welcome back to the podcast. How's it going, Mr. Man? Wow, life is uh, busy and crazy, and I'm doing my best to try and stay out of the doom loop. You know, you see all this stuff going on in the Ukraine. Just before that, it was the Canadian trucker convoy. Right before that, COVID. And it, it really feels like our emotions are being whipped up and whipped around. And uh, I wanted to chat with you to see, hey, man, how should we be thinking about this so we can walk away from that kind of mob mentality that seems to be building all the time? Oh, mister. Yeah, it's it's crazy right now. There's, uh, But it seems like one thing seems to be canceling the other really fast. You know what I mean? Apparently, all it took to, to make COVID go away was a trucker convoy, and all it took to make the trucker convoy go away was a, a severe conflict in Ukraine uh, with Russia. But it just seems like we just keep jumping to the next one, the next one, the next one. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's it, This stuff's getting hard to keep up with, actually, at this point in time. There's just been a lot happening in the world lately. 
Yeah, I mean, it really feels like that uh, five minutes of hate from George Orwell where, where people are told this is the next thing to get whipped up about and they get so whipped up about it that whatever they were really in, concerned about just, just a few minutes before is totally gone and uh, people fall for that Dunning-Kruger effect, right, where you learn a little bit about something and you massively uh, over-project how much you know. And uh, that's why I was looking forward to talking with you because this weekend I was planting some trees outside and I got a call from you and we got to talk about what was going on in Canada because that was international news. Everybody paying attention to it all the time and then evaporated. So what's going on with all the Canadian trucker convoy stuff? Well, so like right now, I think there's actually still a few protests happening in Canada. You just, you don't hear a lot about them anymore just because all of a sudden now, like everybody has taken their profile picture in Twitter and changed it from them wearing a mask and, and, and syringes. Now they've changed it to the flag with Ukraine and everybody's become a, an expert on geopolitics. Right. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it was really crazy. This happened, uh, you know, quite a while ago. I'm sure everybody knows where the, the truckers made their way across Canada kind of thing uh, after after they'd actually brought in this this vaccine mandate at the Canada-U.S. border, which uh, if you look into it, just made absolutely no sense. I mean, uh, that like, like I, I mean, I'm a guy that's, I'm, I'm vaccinated and whatnot. And, you know, I, I, I did the whole thing. And, uh, and like things, things have changed a lot with COVID in the last little while with Omicron coming around. And things keep changing and changing and changing. But these guys, it, like, have spent two and a half years, uh, like our truckers that are running back and forth. And I mean, anybody out there that doesn't realize how much Canada trades with US, it, it's like, it, it's an insane amount of traffic that goes back and forth across the border. And there's actually, Nine times out of ten, there's more coming up here than there is going down there, kind of thing, right? We import a lot from the U.S. and these guys that have been running around keeping our supply chain rolling for two and a half years, like even if you back up to where the the first part of the pandemic, where nobody knew what it was and we didn't have vaccines, we didn't have anything. I mean, just like anybody else, like police, like EMT, like healthcare workers, everyone's like, well, yeah, we're gonna stay home, but hey, you guys need to keep going because uh, we'll die if we don't get enough food. You know what I mean? So, I mean, all of a sudden here, we're, we're taking, you know, people that work and spend 99% of their time alone in a truck. And we're going to say, no, you actually have to be vaccinated to go back and forth across the border, or you're going to have to provide negative COVID tests and quarantine for 14 days when you get back. Well, 14 days out of a truck doesn't work for a truck driver. You know what I mean? Like th- this, this Laurentian elite that we have running our country here in Canada, can they, they can do their job from a, from a laptop at a cottage at the lake and still collect their paycheck from the government, you know what I mean? But a, a trucker can't. Now, like whether a person wants to get vaccinated or not is, is their own personal choice. But I mean, if you're gonna start telling people that have been doing this in our supply chain, which is in very you know desperate condition right now, this depends on you being vaccinated to come back across the border is, is absolutely insane. Unless there was, there was, uh, there was two uh, loopholes to this. If you're hauling COVID-19 medical supplies, you were exempt from this mandate, <laughs> and and if you or if you're hauling students back and forth across the border, then you're exempt from it. Can you tell me how that makes any sense? Like, I mean, I'm no epidemiologist, I'm not a doctor, and and so on and so forth. But uh, how could that possibly make any sense? You're telling me that you can pick up a, a, a load of large flake oats from grain millers in York and Saskatchewan here and how that works. For, I'm sure most people that listen to your podcast know how supply chain works, but you're picking up a loaded trailer from an unmanned 
yard, a staging yard. There's nobody there. There is a trailer that's backed in there that has been loaded by the supplier and you're just pinning onto it, pre-tripping it by yourself. And then you're going to take that, let's say somewhere down into, let's say you're going to take it to Washington to be sold in Washington, right? Well, typically what you're going to, what you're going to do if you're in the food service is you're going to get down into Washington, you're going to drop that trailer and you're going to pick up, let's say, let's use apples, for example, you're going to pick up a van load of apples in the exact same kind of yard. It's going to be temperature controlled. And then you're going to bring that back up into Canada. And essentially you've been in contact with nobody. No, no, you got to be vaccinated to do that. Okay. So that's where this whole thing started when they brought this across and eventually people were just like, you know what? we've really had enough of this. And this came in at a bad time. We're on the tail end of this pandemic when Omicron is like turning into the Diet Coke of coronavirus and everybody's starting to be able to manage this a lot better on their own. And now is when we're going to do it. It just, I, I get why this was the straw that broke the camel's back with a lot of people here in Canada. And I think this is something that really made it to the world stage of what was happening, right? Yeah, I, it was an interesting thing because I at first you see this going on on Twitter and I happen to be in ag Twitter. I happen to know people like you in Canadian ag Twitter. And like you don't really get a sense that it's going to grow to the size that it is, but it's only a couple of days and you start seeing massive images of people doing stuff. And you say, what is going on in Canada that is getting people to, to do unpaid work? You know, they're driving across the country. They're filling up their rigs with huge amounts of diesel fuel, probably on their own. What yeah. is prompting this? When you think about the energy that was going into it, where did those people think that this protest was going to land? Yeah, and, and I think uh, one of the neat things, and this is, uh, you know, I, I did kind of a, a small piece on this in one of my uploads. Uh, was This was a really good opportunity for Canadians to get out of their house and wave a Canadian flag and, and see something. There's most people that I talk to, there's like, there's not a lot of people in my circle of, of my life uh, that didn't say, hey, this is really cool. You know, like everybody's getting out. It's like a big, huge Canada Day thing going on. And there's a there's a lot of people in Western Canada specifically here that feel very, uh, very unlistened to and unheard and feel very abused by this government. And I think uh, it's shone through that that goes a lot farther than just Western Canada that made it a long ways to the Eastern part of Canada. You know, rural parts of Ontario are, are, are very, very conservative you know, farming areas and, and a lot of parts of Quebec actually got in on part of this thing because let's be honest, the French people aren't going to miss out on a really good protest, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this grew big and it grew bigger than truckers. There was just people, you know, that had been, you know, let go from their jobs or uh, not allowed to come into work because they're not vaccinated. And there was a lot of people that had absolutely nothing to do with anti-vaccine, you know, ideology here. They were vaccinated and they'd been playing by the rules and they're just like, Hey, when does this end? Like, you know, there's, I've talked to a lot of people that have traveled down to the States and different places. And they're like, COVID just doesn't exist down there. And here we are in Canada. Like it's like, it's day one of the pandemic still, and we're not getting anywhere, nor will our government give us any sort of way, shape, form or clue of how we're ever going to get out of this. And finally, there's a group of people that were just like, okay, we've had enough. And if we can't go to work anyways, uh, this is what we're going to go do. Right. And this, this turned into a great big movement that was, uh, it was called by our prime minister a fringe minority of people with unacceptable views off the start because what this guy likes to do is dump gas on fires that start burning right uh and i i think honestly that uh, that how he handled the start of this just kept piling people into this 
when you have someone that is turning into something that appears a little bit like a dictator, people are going to start to push back. Even if off the start, they would have just been like, yeah, these guys are going to go do their chalk convoy. But when you start hurling insults at your population, like Justin Trudeau did, it's a prime example of what happens. A lot of people take it to heart, you know? Yeah, it's such an interesting thing, the way your political system is set up, because as an American, I kind of view Justin Trudeau as the president of Canada. But that's not really how that all works. And there's like a weird power dynamic that's going on. Like he's the head of your legislative body, but he's got this bully pulpit where he gets to say what he wants. And and to your point, he's up there basically saying, all these people you're seeing are both on the road, actually driving trucks, and even the people waving the flags is is uh should be dismissed um and and uh not not just dismissed but if they don't stop then we're gonna punish them for doing that misogynists racists extremists uh accuse them of being rapists like it, it's just it is it is the most disgusting behavior i've ever seen out of any politician whatsoever and it wasn't just him it's his entire cabinet that he that he has uh running his party with him right um so the like these guys make their way to Ottawa here, right? And this grows and grows and grows and grows. And uh, and Trudeau, after slagging, you know, all these derogatory terms at at these people that are on their way there, uh, this thing's huge. And you see footage of it in a lot of different places. It's huge. And the Ontario Provincial Police uh, and the Ottawa City Police had a, had a lot of time to prepare themselves to get ready for this to get to Ottawa. You know, like they had a week's worth of warning before these guys were going to get there and the OPP Ontario Provincial Police was even escorting this convoy through Ontario right because it's actually it's it's in their traffic bylaws that if you have a convoy you need to escort to, with the Ontario Provincial Police and these trucks show up in Ottawa and they park downtown and just and just they they gridlock Ottawa right like uh and Ottawa City Police were completely caught off guard they weren't ready for it didn't have a plan to stop them from going into the downtown core or be like hey we're only going to take we're only gonna take 20 of you guys that's it everybody else has got to stay out here kind of thing uh they didn't nobody talked to anybody nobody did anything they just they just let them come rolling in and away we went right but uh, what kind of changed a little bit when you get a big protest like this going on what what changes really fast is you get a lot of kooks that uh that are a little bit on the extreme side of conspiracy theory uh, uh narratives and whatnot that that it, this kind of movement attracts people like that right and so I think there was a lot of people that wound up, you know, grabbing onto the coattails of this convoy. And another big part of it was there was nobody definitively that I could tell that was like, hey, this is the leader of this convoy. Or this is, there was like a, a kind of an undefined group of, of who was leading it and who was doing what kind of thing. And, uh, and they started a, a GoFundMe page, which was Tamara Leach, who actually started this GoFundMe page where you could donate to help absorb the costs of what this was going to cost, you know, for fuel, for hotels, for food, a bunch of different things or whatever. And like that hit over $10 million by the time, you know, they were in Ottawa. Right. Same thing though. There's like, there was nobody just being like, here's how we're going to handle it. And here's how we're going to allocate the funds. And this is what we're going to do. You'd hear different radio interviews of different so-called so leaders of this convoy. And everybody just kind of had like their own little path that they were going down. And I think that was honestly the downfall of, of this movement because they had a really good opportunity. Uh, and I think it just grew way faster than they ever thought it would. And all of a sudden there were so many things happening and so many avenues that had to be covered that all of a sudden it's just chaos and nobody can control what's going on with it. Right. One of the scariest forces in the world to me are mobs. 
You know, it is when you get a group of people together and they say, hey, our collective action as a group is is more powerful than any one of us as an individual. But also, in order to be a part of that group, you have to give up some of your individual nature. And yeah. uh, I remember back when COVID started. So in St. Louis, there was um, a guy that was accused of being exposed to COVID and going to a daddy-daughter dance at some super fancy um, hotel. And everybody that was a part of this kind of upper echelon thing was so angry with him. I mean, people were talking about taking him out and putting him in jail about, uh, you know, uh, attempted murder, these kinds of things. And that was when I was like, hey, COVID and the emotion around this has all that convening power of anger and fear and distrust. And you see that going on. And then you look at something two years later, the convoy. On the one hand, I'm like, hey, people need to be able to push back on their government. They need to be able to send a message. But on the other hand, man, you get thousands and thousands of people that are angry put together. You know, it only takes a few bad apples to start driving that mob somewhere real dark. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And there were a few bad apples. And, of course, our, our legacy uh, mainstream media here in Canada, uh, what's, who are the first people they're going to grab onto in this massive group of people, they're going to go find these five goofballs that are going to disparage the entire group of them. And those are the only people you're going to see on the evening news because people in Ottawa are upset because their city is basically gridlocked at the downtown core. Right. And that's, but like it's propaganda and that's how everything works. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that in Ukraine and with Russia and whatnot here right now. I mean, that's, that's how you fight these things nowadays. Right. Um, and initially people were going there to to protest you know vaccine mandates and government overreach i think generally and then eventually it the the narrative turned into uh no we're we're going to uh we're going to go there either until justin trudeau resigns or they repeal the the covid 19 mandate at the border and that's kind of what i said at the end of that last video that i did i was like okay i hear you but you should probably set a realistic goal you know what i mean because you're not going to get somebody to step down from the government by going and, and protesting. That's, that's a little bit more, I'd say more threatening. It's not a threat, but I mean, it's more threatening than anything. And if anybody has followed anything that Justin Trudeau's done since 2015, when he's been in power, if there's one thing that guy is not going to do, he's so full of himself. He will never go back on a decision that he's made ever. It's not happening. Right. So don't set yourself on realistic goals. You need to set something that you can accomplish and then say, hey, we accomplished it. We tried to get here. We knew we wouldn't. We got here. That's going to be good enough for us. We're going to go home kind of thing. And that's that's not what happened because this occupation wound up lasting, you know, three weeks. I mean, I, I call it an occupation. That's kind of what it was. People get pissed when they hear that. But, I mean, in all reality, I mean, that's that's what it was. I mean, these these trucks were parked and gridlocking the downtown core of Ottawa, and, and that was that. I think they tried to comply with the – with Ottawa police and Ontario provincial police to the best they could, but same thing. You've got a big group of people that, uh, that it's, it's hard for one or two or three people to control kind of thing. And I think, uh, when they started, uh, blasting air horns is where they really kind of, things kind of went and started going backwards there. In my opinion, some people would be like, Oh, that wasn't that big of a deal, but, um, they, they would blow their air horns 24 hours a day uh, in downtown Ottawa. And I mean, you're a guy that's got a young kid, Vance. How would that make you feel? <laughs> Man, I mean, I, I've thought about this a lot. Like, and it's one thing to be able to be like, hey, I'm, I live in the capital city. If there's some inconveniences about this because people are protesting, that's one thing. But if you're really trying to create a movement that gets the, that galvanizes the wider society, you can't alienate everyone 
that uh, that that isn't you know lockstep with you. So if you maybe yeah. supported the protests and now somebody's blowing an air horn outside of your apartment uh, to wake up your you know one year old daughter, that that would drive me absolutely insane. I would be against that almost uh, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah, and uh, I like. So there was a little thing that went on where, uh, where they actually, there's a court injunction filed and then it was, uh, they, they, they came to a, an agreement that they would only honk the horns certain hours of the day kind of thing or whatever. I was just like, Oh, really? Can you imagine somebody parked out, like even right here in my house, if somebody's parked outside honking their horn 24 hours a day, uh, I like, I'm going to go out and, and, and have a word with them. And if I can't reason with this person, uh, Okay, well, let's say I would call the police fence, but I mean, I, I wouldn't be calling the police. I mean, this person's horn ain't going to be blowing anymore, and I know my way around a car pretty good. So, I mean, I wouldn't touch the person, but I can tell you their vehicle would not be able to blow their horn anymore, right? But what's what's wrong with just going? And you've done a pretty good job of, you know, just making your presence very aware. Uh, you don't need fireworks. You don't need anything. Just sit there outside of your truck with a little genset running on a coffee pot with a sign that says, uh, come and talk to me about why the government's punishing me. And that that would, and then what, who's going to slag you for doing that? You're just sitting there with a pot of coffee and want to have a conversation with somebody and stay there as long as you feel that it's going to take to try and make your point. Right. But uh, th there's the, the general theme behind this is that the, the protest was peaceful, which that depends what your definition of peaceful is because blowing your air horns 24 hours a day is not, it's not peaceful. It's nonviolent. And this did stay nonviolent and, good for everybody who was involved in it for keeping it that way because i think there was a lot of instigators that were sent in uh to make this violent and they failed uh there's even i know a few guys that were uh, that were raked down boots on the ground on it and uh, there was actually a, a a pallet of rocks uh mysteriously dropped in the middle of this and two instigators were at that pallet of rocks trying to get people to start throwing them if you can believe that or not so this is like the most bizarre thing. It happened during Black Lives Matters protests, and now we're hearing it about with Canada. Like, what sort of dark soul, you know, goes and drops off pallets to, to put rocks down there? But then you look at the flip side of this, right? When you say, hey, these guys are blowing air horns, that's a really obnoxious, could, could be damaging people's ability to get sleep and their care, all kinds of those things. But I'll tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't people burning buildings down. It wasn't right. people chasing other people with guns or, you know, making physical threats. So I watch this and I think, ah, I don't really like the air horns, but I then see what happened in the U.S. when people were burning buildings down and the government here did not come down anywhere near as hard on those people as what it appeared that they were coming down with the truckers. How did it play out that they cleared the streets of Ottawa or almost cleared them out? Yeah, so like this this went on for a while and that's a good point, yeah. Like, I mean, we have, we have uh, you know, gas pipeline locations being attacked here with people with axes trying to light vehicles on fire and churches being burned to the ground railroad uh, lines being blocked trains trying to be lit on fire and we've got guys that are honking horns in ottawa and you can't go down and get your double almond spice macchiato kind of thing or whatever okay i get it right it's, it's two different things it doesn't make what they were doing right but it it, it wasn't as bad as everyone was trying to portray it so yeah, anyways, this this continues to go on, but we had some bigger problems here, right? So we had the Coots border, uh, we had the Ambassador Bridge, and we had Amerson in Manitoba. Those three very major uh, uh, trade corridors that were blocked, completely blocked. You couldn't get traffic going through there or not, right? And that's wrong. 
Um, and that's one part of this I really didn't agree with off the start because I don't agree with rail blockades or, you know, uh, work being stopped on, on infrastructure and whatnot. So I didn't agree with that either. But what wound up happening there eventually is that the, the police moved in and did their job. They, they said, hey, everybody, this official tomorrow here, we are coming and you guys are illegally doing this and we're going to start removing you. However, it has to go down, it goes down. And everything went down basically with no violence, a couple of arrests here and there kind of thing. But they just went in and cleared it out. They got tow trucks in. They started issuing tickets. They arrested a few people. And then before you know it, oh, hey, look, all of our borders are moving, right? What happened, though, in uh, in Ottawa is Justin Trudeau. Well, actually, we should talk about crowdfunding a little bit first because that happened first is uh, this GoFundMe page where, you know, everybody was going to be trying to get a little bit of cash out of to accommodate their stay in Ottawa. So actually the, the mayor of Ottawa uh, went to GoFundMe and was like, hey, this protest has turned violent, uh, which he didn't really have very good evidence uh, to prove it. And GoFundMe said, uh, oh, OK, well, that violates our terms of service. So they then froze this $10.5 million that was on this crowdsourcing website. And they were like, hey, you guys can't have it. And they're like, well, give us our money back then. They're like, actually, we're just going to donate it to a, to a worthy cause is what we're going to do. This is what GoFundMe says. Now, GoFundMe, apparently for the for the capital, was the Capitol Hill occupation in Seattle? Is that what was happening in the U.S.? Were they just... The Chaz thing that happened in exactly. Seattle. Yeah. GoFundMe was actively involved in, in funding that. And that didn't violate their terms of service. But this one did. And rapes and all kinds, and, and a separatist movement, right? And they were like, no, we are, you can donate to that from anywhere yeah. in the world. Look how great our service is. Yeah, but apparently in Canada, that's not okay. And it was being slagged around that, uh, that most of the funding for this GoFundMe page was actually coming as 50% or more was coming from outside of Canada. So it was outside powers that were influencing this happening in Canada. And uh, when they actually came before a committee, 88% uh, of, of the donations were from within Canada. So it wasn't half. It was, it was like $1.6 million from outside of Canada. Which, you, to be honest, you can imagine that if you're a government and you see money flowing in from outside the country to fund some you know, movement, hey, a government's got a right to be able to try and slow that down. But yep. inside the country, that's a different thing. Right. Okay. So, like, wouldn't you just go and be like, hey, okay, all this stuff coming from outside of Canada, you guys can't do this. You're not going to be able to have access to those funds. But if this is Canadians that are donating this, whatever. Okay. So, they, they get this they get this freeze. And then it's really neat because uh, right away it starts going around on social media for people to put a stop payment on their donation on their credit card. And that would actually, GoFundMe would have to pay $10 and some cents per transaction for that stop payment. So then all of a sudden, GoFundMe starts panicking because now they're going to be on the hook for millions of dollars for people putting stop payments on their credit cards. So then they're like, okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll refund everyone their money. Everyone will get their money back. Okay, so that goes fast. Then everybody goes over to Give, Send, Go, which is, I think it was a, a, a Christian uh, crowdfunding website kind of thing. And that starts growing by a million dollars a day once they switch over to there. And then uh, same thing, what winds up happening there, except this time it was Ontario uh, Supreme Court that actually seized that crowdfunding to be able to get down to the, to the protesters, right? So this all goes on. Uh, and eventually Trudeau invokes the Emergencies Act in Canada. Now, basically what the Emergencies Act is, is it's, it's the War Measures Act that was rewritten. The last person in Canada that invoked the War Measures Act was Trudeau's dad. Uh, Pierre Elliott Trudeau, right? 
that that was for a little bit different of a deal that we we won't get into it's pretty thick and complicated but there was people being murdered and a couple different things going on he probably didn't need it but he did and i mean with what was happening at the time okay right so the war measures act is rewritten now to become the emergencies act and trudeau invokes this and i think all of, of the provincial leaders except for ontario and i think it was just ontario i i don't know what horgan did in bc but uh, all the provincial leaders were like no we don't need it don't do it uh and when he invoked the emergencies act he then which is basically what he can do with stroke of a pen with how how parliament works here in canada he invokes this and it, it just gives the government the most sweeping powers you could ever imagine it's it's war measures powers right so they can seize property they can seize whatever they need or want or assets kind of thing um when he invokes this all three of the border crossings that we were just talking about earlier had been cleared they're done trade was moving back and forth already and this this guy invokes the emergencies act okay so what happens is within Within seven days, that has to come before the House of Commons in Canada for, for a vote in, in order for them to keep this Emergencies Act going. Uh, so they invoke this Emergencies Act. Ottawa police and Ontario police, RCMP all get together and they move in. They serve everybody notices that's down at this protest. And they're like, this is now an illegal occupation. And if you don't leave, we're going to make you leave. Right. Okay. So let's step back and look at this right now. This is what's coming down. Emergencies Act invoke. Ontario police says, uh, you're leaving one way or another. If I was, and I mean, it's easy for me to say because I'm sitting here in my kitchen drinking coffee, having a, a podcast with you, looking back on how things were. But all the provinces now that we fast forwarded to where we're at with this protest have either lifted their COVID-19 mandates or have a, tabled a plan, except for auto or except for Ontario, to come out of the pandemic and to say here's where we're lifting mask mandates and vaccine mandates and vax passes and everything uh so on a provincial level all across canada this convoy whether anybody likes it or not has succeeded in what they went to do all of a sudden people are giving us an end to covid measures right except the federal government they're not they actually, right before Trudeau invoked the Emergencies Act, they voted down a motion in the House of Commons to table a plan for the end of the pandemic. They, all, all anybody wanted was just a plan, and they voted it down. They're like, no, not happening. So step back and have a look at this if you're organizing this convoy. Trudeau hasn't budged yet. Everybody knew he wasn't going to, but everywhere else in Canada has. We've kept this nonviolent. What we should do right now is make a public statement and be like, look, look all across Canada, what all the provinces have done and what's happening. As far as we're concerned, we've succeeded at this. This government obviously won't come and talk to us, won't listen to us, has absolutely no plan whatsoever to even tell you what they're going to do with federal mandates. We've done all we can do. We're, we're going to go home. But they didn't. They stayed. Then hold the line turned into a thing where we're not going anywhere. We're going to stay there. And the police come in, start making arrests. Uh, one lady gets mowed down with a horse because they brought horses and riot gear in here to break this thing up. And they start towing trucks out of their season trucks. And they arrested most of the so-called leaders of, of the convoy. Right? I think there's 197 arrests. But what else happened with this Emergencies Act, Matt, was the most terrifying thing that I've seen happen in Canada for a long, long time, is uh, the Emergencies Act gave the government the power to freeze your bank account. No court injunction, no warrant, no nothing. 
they got a list from this give send go platform which is hacked by some hacker out on the website cbc which is the paid government broadcaster here in canada got a hold of this hacked list and cbc actually funneled the information to the federal government for them to make this list to give to the rcmp and the rcmp took to the banks and says these people's accounts they cannot do business no access to your bank no credit cards no uh bitcoin cryptocurrency any of that stuff everything they shut them off completely you can't buy water you can't buy a sandwich you can't buy fuel to get your truck home you're done Th that okay. happened in canada that's it's actually evil because they were applying my, my definition of evil is to the creation of suffering where it is not needed right yeah. and and there are a lot of things you could do to apply pressure to a group of nonviolent people but to strip them of everything that they own, right? All of their property, the very fundamental, very, very first agreement that we make when we get into the social contract and to turn banks on their customers and to freeze all of that is, is legitimately, in my opinion, evil. It, it was, I was, I was shocked uh, as to what was going on. It was just like, it, it was, that was it. If you've got a mortgage that you've got to pay, you can't. If you get, like, if you get kids, you need to feed them uh, and buy groceries. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. And uh, you can imagine with this pandemonium going on to try and get an injunction filed to try and reverse this to make happen so that you could actually live again. How long is that going to take? Pence? I don't know what it takes in the States, but that kind of stuff takes forever to do here in Canada, right? Um, so, so this goes on. Anyways, they, they clear out the downtown core of Ottawa and get it locked down so that nobody can come back in is is what they do right truckers are most of the truckers are more than 100 kilometers outside of the city of ottawa but what happens is it, this comes back into the into the house of commons now and it's it's going to be voted on now right this is less than seven days uh I, I think it was only a few days after this happened that they go back into the house of commons how this works in Canada right now is the Liberal Party is, is governing as a minority government. That means they don't have enough votes within their party to be able to pass any bill or any anything that comes through the House of Commons. They don't have enough votes to pass it on their own. So they need somebody to stand with them. And that's where the NDP, the New Democrat Party here in, in Canada enters, led by a guy named Jagmeet Singh, uh, who helped them vote down this end to the, to the COVID mandates uh, bill that was coming their motion that was coming through they vote on this and when they're voting on continuing the emergencies act in canada ottawa no longer has protesters in it, it, it it's gone all of the protests are done ottawa has been cleared out all the borders are moving again it's it's over it's done and this ndp party voted with the liberals to pass this motion to continue the Emergencies Act for another 30 days. This guy was literally, and what happens next is insane. So this continues, they, they keep going after Canadians and Christian Freeland, our deputy, deputy prime minister and the finance minister is on TV kind of laughing about what's going on and saying how this is really gonna bite if you were involved in this protest and they're freezing people's accounts all the way across Canada. There's, our our bank which i'm not gonna even name here or whatever but our bank even got a list from the rcmp saying you need to look into these accounts and see if they donated whatsoever and if they did you got to freeze it so this is all happening everywhere people all over canada all of a sudden have absolutely no access to any of their savings or <clears throat> money whatsoever 
And what happens when this, when this motion goes through the House of Commons? Now it has to go to the Senate in Canada, right? Most of the Senate in Canada are liberal appointed senators. There's a few conservatives that were appointed back when Harper was in way back in the day. And he failed to appoint a few more senators. Either way, it doesn't matter. They're appointed senators and it's a pretty biased Senate. There's not much that doesn't go through the Senate that's passed in the House of Commons, right? So a few things start happening to Trudeau here now, all of a sudden he starts getting backlash from the Senate because senators are hearing from people from the areas that they're representing saying, no, this is not gonna fucking happen, sorry. And uh, they're debating this motion in Senate. Jagmeet Singh, the leader of the NDP is on a talk show radio here in Saskatchewan, trying to back himself up of why he voted with this saying, we need to continue the Emergencies Act because truckers are still within hundred kilometers of Ottawa and they're gonna come back. Literally, while Trudeau senators are fighting for this and the guy that propped him up are, is fighting for this on the radio, what happens to Trudeau is his polls are nosediving, Banks are coming back at him saying, hey, everybody's completely lost trust in us whatsoever. They're trying to get all their cash pulled out of our banks and everything. And he's got this notion that this is not going to make it through the Senate. So while this is all happening, this goofball goes on national TV and repeals the Emergencies Act less than 48 hours after they voted to keep it saying, hey, we always said we were going to repeal this as soon as we possibly could. So how do people right now feel about what's going on i mean has it gone away in the way that it has for i mean for the u.s right now i, I tried to look it up last night there is nothing being talked about on it you you have to go pages deep into news in order to be able to get to anything about what's going on in canada this this guy is the slimiest guy on planet earth and i call him slimy because nothing will stick to him this this goes on and i mean Please let there be lawsuit. There already is lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit that goes after the federal government for what they've done. But literally, like, it felt like the next day, Putin invades Ukraine, and nobody's talking about what happened in Canada anymore. Everybody switched their, their Twitter profile from Hong Kong to, uh, to Ukraine and, and Russia and everything, and, and it's just kind of been left in the dust. This Tamara Leach, one of the so-called organizers of this of this protest, was arrested and taken to prison and denied bail. Vance, she was held in Ottawa for uh, it, what was it? Uh, I can't think of the charge right now. Counseling uh, to counseling mischief is what she was charged with, and she was denied bail for counseling mischief. We have. We have gangbangers, we have drug dealers, we have, uh, we have murderers, we have terrorists. We have a guy that ran over four protesters in Winnipeg with his SUV and tried to kill them. All of them got bail posted basically the next day. Tamara Leach was denied bail, told she was too great of a risk to the public <laughs> to be turned out and had to appeal that. And she just got bail here a few days ago she was held basically like a prisoner of war for for what i i just i don't get it it's just and and here we are now and trudeau is over in in europe now and he took krista freeland as deputy prime minister and uh melanie jolie uh, like it it's just it, it's just like it never happened and they're on with another photo op over in europe here and it's it's the most insane thing i've ever seen in my life man are you familiar with this term larping you, no, no, I'm not. Live action role playing. So this is when people uh, dress up. Maybe they 
maybe they want to be like knights, right? So they wear armor and they have shields and swords and then they go out and from the moment they put on their costume till they get done, they are completely in character, but yet they're not really a knight, right? So they're, they're, they're just playing, they're play acting. And that's what it seems like to me that our government has moved into this role that, that uh, they were given institutions that are really complicated and rules and laws that are really important, but they don't always like the controls on them and the mechanisms to keep one group from getting too much power. Like they almost seem to the LARPers as though those are ceremonial, as though those are not that important. And so they just brush aside those things. But once they're brushed aside, once somebody has enacted emergency powers, once a bank has, has been told, hey, you got to go break into these accounts and freeze out all these people's money, it's so much easier to do it the next time that I think we've let like role players or people that are acting in a play become the actual people in power. And it's, it's really scary. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And that's Justin Trudeau is a drama teacher. You know that, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, this guy was a drama teacher. Yeah. So that ought to make everybody feel really great. But uh, that like that is what's going on as, as far as I'm concerned. And, and you know, I'd, I'd say 98% of the people that I interact with, uh, you know, here in Canada uh, are, are convinced that we have children that are, that are unqualified to be running our country, running our country, you know, now, like, let's all remember, I mean, Justin Trudeau and all of his cabinet ministers are all just a bunch of puppets that are dangled in front of us. You know, there are, there are people much higher up in, in the liberal faction and, and in the back doors of places that are making decisions and what's going to be run and what we're going to do kind of thing. But it doesn't change the fact that, uh, that this guy goes out and not only acts like a dictator here in Canada uh, time and time and time again, like you say, it just keeps getting easier and easier and easier for these guys to come up with things, you know, federal gun ban, uh, everything that they do, carbon tax, they're, they're going to raise a carbon tax again in April with the cost of energy doing what it's going to do. They're going to tax us more on that in April to combat climate change, right? Uh, this just continues and somehow these people keep getting elected. We have a very broken electoral system in Canada too, which, which continues to let that happen. We had, uh, we have a minority government, but when we had this mid pandemic election, the reason Trudeau called it was because he thought that he could get a majority government out of it. Right. And then his polls slipped and he almost didn't get reelected. But if you look at the numbers of it quickly here, we only had 56% of our eligible voting population bothers show up to vote in Canada which I'm sure is what they meant to have happen because it was mid pandemic and a lot of people were too scared to come out of their houses. Right. So out of those 56%, 32% of that 56% voted for Justin Trudeau. So crunch those numbers really quick, Vance. That's, that's 18% of your voting population elected our government that's in power. How, like exp explain to me how that works. It's, you know, for a long time, I think people could take a back seat and not participate in elections, right? Like, I don't know very much about what's going on in my local elections. You know, I, I, it's, it's cheap for the media to bring me coverage on the presidential election, but I only get one vote every four years and my vote doesn't even count against 330 million. It's, it's a part of a very complicated process. Yeah. But now you start looking at the power, like in my county, our county executive uh, decided that he had the power to be able to lock people in their houses, to be able to tell them they're not allowed to leave. And so he just asserted this power and now he has it. And like, this is insane to me that uh, no one, when they were voting for this guy in the beginning or not voting or not showing up, even realized 
that someone could assert these kinds of powers. And my my hope, I guess, is that anybody that exerted that kind of power will feel extreme um, pressure at the at the ballot box from it. But I think they won't. I, I think um, the the system um, benefits incumbents, and the incumbents are going to keep the the power. But I, I don't I don't really know what to do about this. It seems <laughs> I think that's where a lot of people get frustrated and I'm, I'm in the exact same boat is I don't know what to do either. I don't know how to change it. And I, I don't think we should go through lives being like, I'm just one man. I can't change anything anyway. So I'm not going to try kind of thing. You know, I don't, I don't think that's a very good, uh, a very good mentality to have whatsoever. But um, you know, when you, when you look at what's happening in, in Canada, around the world with politics everywhere, it's uh, it's, it's, it's very strange times. And the path out of it, I, I don't know what it is. I think a lot of people are in that that mindset. And I think that kind of scares people a little bit, which honestly, from what I can tell from, I'm exposed to a lot of social media, I have a lot of exposure. It, it seems like it's a lot of people that are lost and not knowing what to do. They're just sitting there in anger with their, with their hands tied, almost like a set of handcuffs on them because they're angry with what's going on, but there's nothing they can do to change it. And I, I feel like that's what really drives a lot of the hate and mob mentality and echo chambers that we see on social media is just, it's the only place where people have that they can get their frustrations out and in all reality, not, not reprive much for consequences from it. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, you can, you can type what you want on a screen and put it out on social media and, and nobody's going to punch you in the face for doing it. Right. And I think that's where you see a lot of people can just let their true feelings just go because uh, there's no consequences there, but they're frustrated because there's nothing they can do. And I, I don't know, I've been really trying to figure out what's driving this mob mentality on social media. And I feel like that just might be part of it. Somebody wants to be part of a tribe, part of something that agrees with them or, or believes what they believe, and they don't want to deviate from that path. And, uh, and it's dangerous for all sides, whether you're liberal it's so or dangerous, yeah. right? It's, it's because that feeling of, I have no power, and therefore, the only way for me to get power is to join this group who then will give me a purpose that is greater than myself. All I got to do is give up my own individuality. And that can happen on the left. You can see, oh, maybe they'll turn us all into communists or they'll overrun us with authoritarian. But it can also come from the other side as well. It could come from conservatives who say, you know, we have all the power or all the guns or all the machinery or all the equipment. And either one of those two outcomes is horrible. The only outcome that's positive is for people to wake up and say, I'm going to take individual action, but then you're back again at the spot of, as an individual, how can I affect change? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, uh, you know, uh, one of the big things I've noticed a, a lot, I've, I've really tried to be objective with a lot of the things that I do. I, I'm still that quick dick guy. I, I like to, you know, stoke a little bit of a fire every now and then I'll send out a tweet that'll burn somebody a little bit. And I like to, you know, mostly burn politicians most of the time. But um, I've tried to objectively stand back and have interactions with different people, you know, with different food policy and energy policy and whatnot that, that disagree with things that I that I believe in to just try and, and understand, you know, how they work or what's, what's making them make the decision or, or come to the conclusion that they've come to kind of thing and, and try and find some sort of a common ground with them. Not all the time, because some people you just know right away, there's just not going to be any talking to them or convincing them whatsoever, but there are people that'll, 
open up to you a little bit if you kind of use a little bit of humor and talk with them and you can kind of get figured out you know what makes you tick or like wh why why do you support that i don't and here's my side of it and we need to be able to listen to their side of it kind of thing too but uh what i've really noticed is is that that far left and far right all it keeps continuing to go on here now as we progress over the next few years if you look at the last say 12 year cycle of politics here in canada is we either have a very strong right-wing government in power or we have a very far left-wing government in power. And it seems to take a couple of years, maybe two, three election cycles, and all of a sudden the pendulum will swing back over to that other side. And that government is gonna spend their first four years just trying to reverse all the policies that the other government put into place and vice versa. Eventually people get sick of that one and swing back to this one. And then they start taking all those policies back and we just burn billions of dollars and spin our tires. It's it, it just none of it works. How do you stop that pendulum in the middle and be like, OK, we need energy security, but we also need social assistance and we need addiction centers treatments and we need to deal with First Nations problems. And there's just there's so many different things that we need to do. But there's got to be a way we can concentrate on them all and not just swing to a voter base. You know what I mean? The, the biggest reason that Trudeau slags everybody and, and keeps trying to use identity politics and drive wedges between Canadians is because he's not focused on the rest of Canada. The only thing he's focused on now is that 18% of the voting population that gave him his power back. That's it. He doesn't care about the rest of them, you know? Yeah, and the, the, the biggest problem with the pendulum swing is they undo some of the social policies, but one thing nobody ever does is give back the ability to assert their power, right? As, as soon as that emergency's power is open, as soon as in the United States, you know, you're able to spy on U.S. citizens, nobody gives that power back. So once, once the government authority takes it, the swing uh, leaves it vulnerable for you just cracked it open for your side. Well, now the other side's got control of that weapon that you were using. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, I I'm going to keep beating on Trudeau because it's what I know here in Canada. But in 2015, in his electoral platform, one of the one of the top items that he had covered was electoral reform in Canada. It was going to be the very last type of election that we have here in Canada when he was elected and we were going to do electoral reform and start getting more a general equal representation across Canada. Because how our seats work here in Canada is is the most disgusting thing you'll ever see. Uh, because we are we are rather election is over by the time by the, by the time votes are counted just this side of Toronto the election's over it's done doesn't matter what Western Canada does until they get all the way over to Vancouver might tip the tip the scales a little bit right but uh, and and crickets on that nothing ever became of it because the first thing that this guy is going to realize is uh, oh hey if I do that. I'm actually, you know, legislating myself out of a job. So that's not happening. You know, it's funny. I've been doing a bunch of research on Ukraine and what's going on there because I find that the media in the U.S. has one angle on it. So I've, I've been trying to find as many different perspectives as I can. And one of the perspectives I heard last night was exactly what you are saying about is going on in Canada has what has gone on in eastern Ukraine. The Russian-speaking populations there feel as though they have no representation and they may only be a few million people but from the perspective of people living in the east whether you're in russia or ukraine or any of those russian um uh, outposts whatever you want to call them those people feel like they are being um handled by the government in a way where they have no control and they only have authority being put on them 
And so when I hear you describing this going on in Canada, and then you look at that, that you have to say, man, it is a good idea to be very careful and patient about how you feel things are working. Because if you don't understand that people living out in Saskatchewan or Alberta literally don't have a chance to change their government, and this is the same way the Russians feel, maybe I should be a little bit careful about how strongly I assert my opinion on social media and the power I give the government to intervene here. Yeah, absolutely, Vince. And that was, uh, I think, uh, I had a guy draw a, a parallel to to the conflict in Ukraine uh, to to Canadian soil here very well. Excuse me, where he used uh, you know like Alberta, Saskatchewan, almost as these different Russian parts of Ukraine. You know, if you go all the way back to to Soviet Russia or whatever kind of thing, it was all the, things were how they wanted them to be. And then we fast forward to today here now, and same kind of thing. You've got this little divide in your in your provinces, being like, hey what about us? You know, uh, we, we don't agree with what you're doing out there. We don't agree with this. We don't agree with that. The only difference with Canada is, I mean, we don't have an old Russia that's going to be like, uh, okay, you know what, we're coming back in because we have huge interests in, in the resources and whatnot that you have there as well. So we're going to come in and help you and use the separatist thing as our, as our grounds to make it happen. And this is what's going to go on. Right. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's very, it's, it's very, very deep of what's happening there and there's a lot of history behind what's happening in ukraine and if if anybody really just wanted to be able to how do i understand ukraine if you live in canada you'd be like well basically uh alberta saskatchewan a little bit of manitoba northern bc or whatever there are these areas that are being oppressed and uh they they don't want to be a part of it anymore right well and that kind of to, to keep going with this parallel one of the things people have heard this term, the Monroe Doctrine, right? But they don't understand it. If you're in America, you've, you've heard this idea, but you don't really understand that what this meant was America is going to view any hostile uh, hostilities as completely untenable. So when the Russians decided they were going to put missiles in Cuba, the Monroe Doctrine said, no, and we are willing to fight to the death, go to war, do whatever we got to do to get rid of those missiles over there. Only in the Ukraine, they didn't have the Monroe Doctrine. So the, and you, Russia as well, right? So they start seeing people coming up on their borders and saying, we don't want people with missiles there. I, I, not to confuse these two issues because they're totally separate things. But I think that one of the things that has happened is if you don't know a trucker, then you have no idea. All you have in your mind is some caricature of those guys that when you see them on the road that you, you know they don't look like me they don't sound like me they're interested in the same things that i am so if somebody tells me that they're bad or they're doing something wrong i'm gonna believe it same yeah. thing with the russia and the ukraine it's so easy to other people that you don't know that it's 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 utterly terrifying how effective our propaganda is uh in in the western world today yeah i, I couldn't agree with that so that's a really good parallel to draw actually uh Vance. and like back to the trucker thing even that, that you just mentioned it's it's a really easy thing of how they were disparaged very quickly in a lot of different places like i said grabbing the four or five people that were really wing nuts that shouldn't have been a part of this anyways but if you generally step back and look at the grand scheme of the protest there it wasn't a bunch of people meaning ill harm on anybody it's a bunch of canadians that love our country that love freedom that love each other feed each other, hug each other, dance with each other. That's kind of what this protest was from the outside looking in, if you were looking down the right channels. But a lot of people that uh, that don't understand how supply chain works or, or you know, where their, where their coffee cup and coffee come from, I mean, that's, that's not grown here in Saskatchewan, you know? That's commercial transportation that brings it in. I don't think, 
we're so detached with where everything that we have and, and where it comes from and what we need to survive, what's involved in getting it to our doorstep. And especially when you get downtown in the, you know, greater Toronto area uh, in the, in the downtown core of Ottawa, where this happened, I mean, all of a sudden it's, it's, it's a life changing and hurtful event that you, for some reason, don't feel safe to go down and, and get your Starbucks. Uh, like that's a, that's a problem in Canada that's life-changing and, and a crisis. And I guess that, that's kind of where I'm going to lead to in this upload I'm trying to get done for Monday is that we misuse words so badly in, in our privileged lifestyle that we now lead. Uh, a, a crisis? We're, we're talking about the climate crisis. Uh, you know, this was, uh, this was an emergency act, war measures act event that was happening in Ottawa. I, I, I just yeah, say this once, Vance, just to get my point home here, but nobody today here in Canada knows what a fucking crisis is. We don't. We haven't lived through one. We live a very privileged lifestyle. And uh, if truckers parking downtown and honking the horns is a crisis, it, we can't look at it that way, right? And misusing the term racist and misogynist and uh, rapists and all these different things. I feel that there are consequences that we're not going to be able to come back from by using all of this language where it doesn't belong because it just makes that common language. So that when you actually do have a crisis or an emergency or misogyny that needs to be called out or racism that needs to be called out, you can't even identify it anymore because as soon as somebody disagrees with something that you're saying, that's the language they resort to and you're canceled for trying to say something. Yeah, the the self-terminating cliches, right? Where somebody just has a phrase that says, no, we don't need to keep discussing this because you're a racist or science tells us this. And, you know, to your point about the, the language being used around crisis, this is how mobs really get controlled, is they tell people, you don't have time to think. We don't have time to deliberate. There's no other perspective that is reasonable to have in this in this discussion, and therefore we have to act now. And and you know we have this option right here, and it's the only option we have. So let's just go ahead and use it. Yeah. And once people get into this cycle, like you, yeah, you're right. How do you get out? How do you back it out? Yeah. So uh, I mean, it's it's been the craziest three years of my life here since I started doing this quick take stuff because it. it it, I, I started off in an echo chamber doing this stuff and it exposed me to, you know, people in my echo chamber. And now uh, stepping back and looking at everything that's going on, I really try and look at all different sides of it kind of thing. And it's really strange. Even now we're talking about tribe and mob mentality. When I put out a, a video where all of a sudden where somebody doesn't agree with one little opinion or something that I put in my video, which is always my opinion, all anybody's ever going to get is my opinion. I don't change for anybody, not even my mom, you know, she can, maybe beat me into submission still, but uh, uh, like people lose their minds. As soon as they hear somebody say something that they don't agree with or are not fully hundred percent on side with, just go off the deep end. Like their yeah, minds. Really, and the craziest thing is it's particularly if you're in their tribe and they think you have a heretical view, right? That, <laughs> yeah. like, we do not want heretics in here. We don't want anybody inside of this circle that uh, could convince other people inside of this circle that we shouldn't be as angry, that we shouldn't take these actions. Yeah. But I'll say this, man, for your videos, like uh, the trucker one that you just recently posted, everyone should go listen to that. Like I've been around the trucking world my whole life. I've got a bunch of buddies that when they got done with high school, that's what they, they did. 
And I watched your video and I was like, man, this gives you an inside look at how people talk with one another, right? Freightliner's <laughs> the best. Or, hey, if you're if you're in a Mack truck, you look at the rear end of a of a dog for the oh, whole great. day. I, I that, that's the kind of stuff that brings humanism um, into it. That that reminds you that the guy sitting behind the wheel or the woman or the family, like they're actual people. And the reason they're doing that job is because they have goals and aspirations and families and all of these things that you are motivated by. So are they, but that's why your videos are so powerful. It's because you're shining a light into an area that is otherwise completely the, the fog of, of confusion, the fog of people being distant, just people don't see. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. Thanks. And that's, uh, and that's, you know, it's what I kind of try and do. <clears throat> um, and that one, I mean, if you're going to go watch it careful, I swear quite a bit in that one. <laughs> but, uh, it's, uh, but like, yeah, I, I don't know. And that's uh, what I've really tried to do all, all the way along is just try and connect with people on that level kind of thing. I, I, you know, again, I always love doing the kids ones that I do because you just get to go out and kind of be on a farm and, and show people what you do real life. You put a little planning and creativity in it and try and make it fun and interactive and, and funny and, and, uh, and yeah, people get a, people get a kick out of it. And I did, you know, one that was maybe not targeted so much at kids called beefing around that just kind of just goes through the, you know, the, the carbon cycle basically of a, of a, of, of cattle, of ruminant animals grazing on our marginal grasslands here and stuff like that. But it's just, there's so many people that just don't understand what goes into a lot of these different things. And I, I, what I've tried to do now, which is kind of where my point was going, being exposed to all these different opinions is I, I'm at a point now where I, I actually like having uncomfortable conversations with people or conversations with people that have a completely different opinion as I do, because I, I get that people agree with me. And, and, you know, I, I, I know why I make my decisions and I stand by what I believe in kind of thing, but I like understanding more now how other people tick and what makes them like, why would you support Justin Trudeau? I have and tell me what this person is doing that, that you believe in that you can stand behind. And maybe I, I doubt you're going to convince me, but I want to hear your side of it. And maybe after I hear your side of it, I'll sit and listen to it. But then will you do me the favor of hearing my side? And can we have a conversation like two human beings that doesn't really exist on social media? You know what I mean? Well, I think that uh, you're playing a critical role. And I think the only way out of this really, truly is comedians because comedians are the people that can say things to people where um, they, they get their ideas, right? You know, like I, I say this all the time, comedy is all about connecting two different things that people didn't think were connected. And when they see it, when they have that aha moment, like that guy's right, there is those two things are connected. Then they laugh. They give that ha 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 social signal that says, I understand how those two things are connected. There's very few things that happen in life um, that loosen your grip on a perspective other than laughter, right? There's a, there's a guy named Barry Flinchbow. He's a mentor of mine. And he talks about if people are laughing, their minds are open. And Absolutely. I think your work on that comedy is, and, and pushing yourself to get outside of your tribe and just doing it to your own group is of deep importance and and i'm really glad to try and uh, spread out your your ideas to people well i appreciate it man yeah it's been it's been neat i never really considered myself a comedian either and then all of a sudden i found myself here uh last summer traveling around doing stand-up comedy and whatnot which was uh man that sure did change my perspective on on life and people and uh i was actually back yeah, it. so so how was it the first time you get up on stage you got to make people laugh how was it were you scared <laughs> No, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm okay with being in front of crowds. I, I don't know why I'm just comfortable, but I'm, I'm comfortable with people. I'll sit down and have a conversation with one person. 
or sit in front of 400 people and have conversation. Uh, I'm, I don't know why I've always been okay that way, but the first time I ever did a show, I completely bombed. Um, it was at a trade show in the afternoon and like, I have a show that goes through like a whole bunch of different things that happen in rural Saskatchewan, like, you know, how Tinder doesn't work and a whole bunch of different things or whatever. And the first audience I ever went in front of was, uh, was about 150 Hutterites, uh, at three o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> and it went really bad. Like I swear a lot in my show too. Right. And, uh, so the guy that had booked me there to do this show, he comes up to me after the show and he's like, hey, dude, I, I, I don't know if you can make it doing this or not. And I was like, oh, thanks. But I had to do, I, I had two shows booked and I did a show with them again immediately. The next day we had a back-to-back -back booked and I had a bunch of people that, you know, follow me on social media and whatnot show up for the show and went really good. And then after the show, he came up to me and he's like, you remember what I said yesterday? I was like, yeah, he's like, forget it. That went really good. You did good. I was like, okay, thanks. But. It's I, I actually have a similar story. So I don't do comedy, but I, I give these talks and they're, they're yeah. very similar to that. But um, I was telling a, a story about the evolution, right? Like how did we get to agriculture? And I started with, you know, hundreds of thousands, really even millions of years ago, there was this process of evolution and natural selection. And I look out because I'm speaking to a bunch of Pennsylvania dairy farmers and about half the crowd are Amish. And I, I see them being like, no, there was evolution. Get the fuck out of here. Right? Like, <laughs> That's not how this works. <laughs> and I had people come up to me afterwards and they're like, hey, I really liked your talk, but that evolution stuff, that's just nonsense. And I'm there on behalf of somebody else. So what am I going to do? Get in an argument with this 18-year-old kid that could crush walnuts with his hands, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious, man. Uh, yeah, so but like, since then you've continued to get booked. You've continued to do that. I'm, I'm booked till February, 2023 right now, if you can believe that or not. And I don't have a lot of spare time because of the farm and everything. Like I'm working night shift right now with calving and whatnot, but then we're going to go straight into seeding and then you go straight into haying and there's lots of stuff to do here. So, uh, but it's, it, it's actually, it's, it's, it's changed how I look at, at humor and comedy and, and I guess, uh, you know, social, uh, the, the social puzzle and how it all fits together, but people are so desperate to get out of their houses and go have some fun right now. I think it's been a part of it too, but I've kind of started, I learned my show good enough and I, I actually went back. I can't remember her name. It slipped in my head right now, but I watched a comedian that you had on, on your, uh, on your podcast Vance. And I remember her talking. Yeah. Liz. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So she was talking about how she had this one bit. It was this, whether it was a minute and a half or two minute bit or whatever that she'd worked on, for like a month and she polished her delivery on it and everything. And I remember her saying she would go to coffee shops and they, and she'd go through it with her friends and stuff like that. And I distinctively remember this. I don't know why it stands out with me. Cause I was, I was listening to your podcast while I was picking rocks. And, uh, and that's usually when I listen to podcasts because I just need my mind not to focus on the mundane job that I'm doing. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, never considering stand-up comedy, uh, that doesn't make sense to me. How can you spend that much time working on a two minute bit? It's either going to work or it's not. Well, I've got an hour and a half show and I get it now. I, I, I get it because the more you work at it, the more you go through it, you get more comfortable with your delivery. You read your audience and you know how to deliver it and how your punchline is going to work out and whether you can add this part of it that you've got or whether you need to go down this avenue and take this way. And then somebody in the crowd is going to heckle you. And I like, I would say I'm addicted to doing shows. I love it. I, I, you, you and I have so much in common here because once I learned that you can take a good idea that's funny to you and polish it up into the point where you could go out there blindfolded, handcuffed, 
you could do this joke and it would land. Yeah. That's when I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. This is yeah. like um, some kind of artwork. But I'll tell you, like, because I've been doing this for about 10 years now, that uh, as soon as you perfect a piece, it's over. You got to go for more pieces because you like, you, if, if, if one member of the audience hears the story two times, it's yeah. over. They're like, man, that guy. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's, uh, that's where I'm spoiled a little bit. You know, I've gone and done this show in a, in a lot of different places and I've got a lot of space to cover here. You know what I mean? I usually only get, you know, we book places that only seat about 200 people. You know, my biggest crowd's been about 450 kind of thing, which isn't a huge crowd. You know what I mean? But the other thing that I do have, you know, working in my favor is it's a lot of people that know who I am and kind of my comedy and my story. So they're paying money to come and see me and they're coming to see material that they haven't seen on YouTube. So I know it's going to work out pretty good for me. Right. But, um, it's just, it, it's, it's, it's so addicting. It's, it's the feeling you get from it. And I went through a point in my life that led up to me creating this quick dick ca character and coming back home here to Saskatchewan was, uh, you know, I was in a point in my life where I was not a very happy person. Uh, and, and I found that happiness again through comedy and sharing this character with other people and to, to be able to do that live and you get that feeling from people that you give a person that's maybe having a bad day or a bad week or a bad month, you give them an hour and a half where for that 90 minutes, they don't think about what's troubling them in their lives. They just sit there and drink and laugh. And uh, I, I want to share that with as many people as I can, because uh, that's what we need as human beings. And there's this comedian in Saskatchewan, his name's Kelly Taylor. Uh, and it was the craziest thing. And I just, I just caught this on a, on a podcast that he did uh, uh, not long ago before he did a show in Tisdale. And I, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts, but uh, he, he said that even when you're organizing a room, he's like, I want to, I want a low ceiling with tight chairs. And I'm listening to this and I'm like, what is he talking about? And he's like, because if you get laughter going in a room that small, He's like, it, it's, it's like a virus. He's like, it just spreads and it won't stop. He's like, you get into a hall with the seating spread out and the tall ceiling and everything. Everybody's just going to kind of laugh or whatever. And I thought back after he said that to some of the shows that I've done and ones that went good and ones that went didn't. And I was like, holy shit, he's right. You know what I mean? So it's, I like learning stuff and working with a craft and it's just been, it's been fun. I really enjoyed doing it, but it's, it's hurt my uploads. I haven't uploaded as many videos. I'm not as active on social media when I'm doing stuff like that, but to me, that's okay too. You know what I mean? Well, I uh, built a space in VR and I took what I had learned and heard from different comedians about that and, and started making it so it is tight. You know, with VR, you can make the room as big as you want. You can be in a stadium, but it, it just doesn't feel that way. And I, man, I hope you come on and tell us all the things you're learning about as you're doing this because uh, you, you've got a huge fan in me. I know my audience loves seeing you succeed. If people wanted to book you, uh, they wanted to bring you either to the U.S. or somebody in Canada was thinking about it, how would they go about doing that? Uh, quickdickmcdick at gmail.com, uh, and somebody will get back to you there at some crazy hour of the day kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's booked up pretty thick, but I just, yeah, I, I love the opportunity to be able to go and do it. So it's, uh, you know, what I do isn't really a, a family-rated show kind of thing. You know, I, I do a little bit of swearing and some inappropriate farm references and it's it's comedy that's tailored more to to rural agriculture communities kind of thing and uh, it it really hits it really bangs in places like that but yeah you can send an email there and uh and uh, i'll try and fit some people in and i'll be hitting the road again here uh, you know after harvest is done in the fall and uh, and trying to go have some more fun with it and bring some laughter to people man
Well, I would 100% put uh, money on you that, that this will be successful and that it'll transfer not just through Canada, but really all through the Western world, man. I think what you're doing is really important and keep going as hard as you can. Well, I appreciate it. And, and same with you, Vance. I mean, uh, you know, when I get the chance to, to light up the podcast, you always get great guests on with, uh, you know, with great perspectives and it makes people think about a lot of different things that are going on in the world. So to, to you, I'd say keep doing the same thing as well. Well, quick dig, McDick, thank you so much for coming on. Always a pleasure, my man. Take care of yourself. Ah, ah, ah.